to these to the material universe and to the spirit universe. And so while the half of the soul exists as a half of the soul, it needs a body, whether it be a spirit body or a spirit and a material body, in order to get feelings and emotions and process events and so forth in those universes. So that process, when these souls are at this location, I said, and it was something I said that was quite contra controversial, that at that point they don't have free will. So I said they don't, they, they have no free will at that point. And the reason why they have no free will at that point is because they are not conscious of their own existence before they incarnate. So if they don't, con they're not conscious of their own existence before they incarnate, then they cannot know how to use their will. Your will is only able to be expressed because you now know that you can express it. So they have no free will, they have personality though. So every soul that has been incarnated before its incarnation as a complete soul, it always had a personality. God created that personality. And part of the process of this, pro this wonderful process of growth spiritually is for you to get to know your own personality in its pristine form. And that's part of the process of growth. So, any questions about that up to that point? Right. Now that's fairly different, isn't it, than what most people would say today. Most people say we all have existed beforehand. But I'm saying let's go right back to the first time you ever incarnated. This is the truth. The truth is that you didn't know you existed and you weren't aware of your own individuality, your own personality, you weren't aware of any of those things. And the process of incarnation caused or created your individualization. In other words, it allowed you now to begin expressing your own free will as a soul. Um, sorry. Um, God, if God um, isn't incarnated, how does God know himself now? And Understanding God is a very, very difficult process in some areas. One of the areas that it's very, very difficult to answer questions about is what, how God existed before we knew God. Because the only way we can know that question is actually by connecting to God and asking those questions. You follow me? Yeah. It's very, very difficult. It's very, very difficult for any of us at any point to understand God completely. Because to understand God completely, we would have to be God, him or herself. Right? So every question that you ask yourself about God, be aware that there is literally millions of questions that you will ask yourself in the future about God that you will not be able to yet find the answer about. And that would be one of them. What was God like before I knew God? Is a question that you will not be able to answer very well particularly through the lower areas of your own progression. But wouldn't it be in fact that we would have a memory because we come from the mind of God or from God and we in fact would have within our memory, within our being, at the very deepest level, a memory and understanding of that creation and that creative process? There are some things that we instinctually know about God. So I would agree with that. But in terms of having a conscious memory of what actually occurred before our existence began, obviously if we weren't aware of our own consciousness, 
then we can't be aware of a consciousness outside of ourselves either. So therefore we can't be aware of a consciousness of God before we're aware of our own consciousness. So there was a time in our existence when we were at this state when we weren't conscious of any of those things. But we do have some instinctual things inbuilt within our soul. One of those instinctual things is a desire to feel this feeling inside of ourselves that God exists and to fill that up and to actually connect with that God that created us. In other words, God created in you a desire for you to get to know God. And God also created in you a desire for you to get to know your soulmate as well. Uh, those two desires are very, very powerful instinctual desires that God placed within the soul. Of course, it's still very much dependent upon your free will. So you can choose to not do that if you wish. And many choose to not do that, obviously. And, I, and the first human couple actually chose to not do that as well to not get to know God. And that's the reason why much of our emotional damage that we have now began. Alright, so any other questions about that process so far? Uh, James, I just wanted to um, ask, you said that God's an entity, would you please define what an entity is? Um, I feel God is the great oversoul of the universe. So um, the way I see it is that we were created in God's image. Our soul, our complete soul, was created in God's image. So, so God is, a, is soul, but the great soul of the, of the universe, the soul that created the universe. And in fact, the universe is one of the attributes of God, one of the things that, that is a quality of God. So God is an entity in the sense that you can have a personal relationship with her. So not just an energy-based relationship. So it's a bit like, you know that you are energy, right? You know you have a physical form, that's just energy, right? It's all just atoms spinning around and it creates solidity for you and, and you can touch it and feel it and all those kind of things. And then inside of that you also have a spirit body and that is also energy, right? And that spirit body can be touched by spirits. And they can hug each other and, and so forth and even a spirit can hug you. Most of you have seen the movie like What Dreams May Come and those kind of movies, yeah? And you can see how, you know, the, what's portrayed in there about the spirit world is fairly accurate in the sense that, you know, you can touch and hold and feel each other on a, on a physical level in the spirit world as well. The soul itself is also energy. But would you say that energy is you? Wouldn't you say instead that you have energy? So energy is an attribute of you. Can you see the difference? Mm -hmm. And it's the same with God, right? Energy is not God. Energy is an attribute or a quality of God. Right? God has energy, but energy is not God. God has love, right? And that's why we often say God is love. But love itself is, just, is not God. Right? Love is an attribute or a quality of God, an energy or an emotion, if you like, of God. And God has other emotions besides those emotions, obviously. Also, um, why do you refer to God as she? Um, because what I'm trying to do is break this mould that people have that God is masculine for a start. Secondly, that people understand that God as an entity has masculine and feminine qualities. And sometimes it's uh, important to understand the difference between those qualities inside of yourself as well and also in your mate. Because the way God created the universe was that so that you could come to understand her and come to understand him. 
in a way, through your own experience. Right? So how many of you as women don't like certain things inside of most men? <laughs> well, they are things you'll need to heal within yourself. <laughs> how many men here don't like things within certain women? You know, right? <laughs> they're going to be things you have to heal within yourself. And, and the, at the end, you'll start seeing that instead of it being an us and them type of thing with regard to masculinity and femininity, that they are complementaries of each other. And in, in the end too, God has all these complementary qualities, some of them being masculine and some of them being feminine in nature. And it's important to understand that as part of your growth. That in the end, you won't feel any anger towards men if you're a woman or anger towards women if you're a man in your progression. You won't feel that at all. You will have worked through those emotions and you've come thoroughly happy with the idea of complementaries, of being complements of each other. And just um, for the benefit of those who weren't here at the last gathering and also have not seen the um, DVDs, DVD, yep. um, do you intend to cover today for the information as to um, who you are and um, how you have this information? Well, certainly in the DVDs and, and at the groups in, uh, I think they were in January, weren't they? Or February? Yes. January. Um, I, I claimed I was Jesus. And, uh, and so any of you who haven't heard that, well, obviously I want to be upfront with you, and that's, that's what I'm claiming. And I mean that I'm, I'm the person, Yeshua ben Joseph, who existed in the first century. And after I passed, I've existed in the spirit world for 2,000 years, and of course then reincarnated. And I also claimed at the same time that there are 13 other people who reincarnated from the first century as well who are here on earth at the moment. And those 13 other people are going through a similar process of my, that I'm going through in order to become at one with ourselves again and also eventually at one with God again in order to demonstrate this whole process of these truths that they are actually reality. If you have been one with God in the past, mm -hmm. is, is that a correct assumption? Mm -hmm. You have been one with God. Mm -hmm. How can it be then? Then you can that lose you need it. To be getting to the point of being one with God. Yeah. Well, let's describe uh, the process a little, and I'll describe a little bit more of this, because obviously you have not seen those DVDs. I have. Oh, you have The last 48 hours. Okay, okay. <laughs> no worries. Well, you remember in the DVDs I described that the process of uh, pro progressing spiritually was going through a process of growing in love, right, through different spheres or boundaries of love, if you like. And at the top of the 22nd sphere, well, the, the 22nd sphere of that progression, there is a merging of the two soul made halves. In other words, the two that are in separate bodies now discard their bodies and they become one soul again. But they have a complete memory of their entire existence. Now in that state, you can choose to do anything you want. And many of you, when in the future you get into that state, many of you may choose to reincarnate. Um, Sometimes, some days, I feel that I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and other days, I feel that I would. But and you can actually choose to reincarnate and come back to Earth. But to do that, you have to separate again. And to go through the process of being born into two separate bodies that have been created at the time of conception. Now, in the process of having that occur, 
the instant that you incarnate into a physical form is the instant that your soul begins absorbing the errors of its parents again. But this time, all of the errors of your parents are getting filtered through your memories, your intellectual, you could call them memories, of all of your existence. So it's like all of your existence now gets tainted with the emotions of your parents at the point of reincarnation. And because of that, you then now have to work through those emotions to become clear of them in order to get to the point of alignment with God again. Does that make sense? You cannot lose the love that you ever got from God. So your soul never ever loses love that it's received from God. However, it can get spattered with mud, right, when you reincarnate. And that's really what the emotions are doing. It's like getting, if you can picture your soul as a nice pristine glass ball, and someone coming along at the time of incarnation just throwing all this mud at it. Now, at some point during your life, you're going to have to wash that mud off. And that's the process that you do, that you need to do after reincarnation begins. <coughs> now, obviously, for people who've reincarnated, they have almost like a split identity, which adds to the problem. Because they've become so used to being the person that everyone around them believes them to be, that accepting that they're actually a person that existed 2,000 years ago becomes very complicated. And in fact, they become very <coughs> afraid of that. And so therefore, they don't allow their emotions to be present. And therefore, when you don't allow your emotions to be present, no memories will be present. And so they act as if they don't remember anything, but in reality, they have all these emotions that they're denying within themselves. And that's a process that every person who's reincarnated goes through. And you will go through it if you choose to reincarnate. So do you get to choose whether you want to come back as male or female? No. Your soul splits at the same way each time. Um, but there are different memories that you can choose to take. So, so for example, during the split this time, my, my soulmate in the first century had lots of very terrible events occur in her life. And I chose to actually take the memories of those events. And you can split up the memories how you see fit when you reincarnate. So I chose to take a lot of her memories uh, of her first century existence, which has meant that I've had to process emotions now for a lot of years in order to work through those memories. So does she have those memories as well? No. So she's, that's all wrong? No, if, if one half of the soul takes a memory, then the other half of the soul does not have that memory. When the two souls are reincarnated or when you come back down to earth or whatever, mm -hmm. yep. right? are you born at the same time? No. 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 You may be born 20 years apart. Right. Yeah, myself and my soulmate are 16 years apart. And yet others of the 14 who have reincarnated, one couple is three years apart. So it just depends completely so on the choices. Have more than the original 14 reincarnated? Um, since about 2004, yes, there's been some others reincarnate. Um, and uh, certainly I think there's about 15 other souls at this point that have reincarnated as well. There are actually close to 20,000 souls now in the 22nd sphere state. And, and so many of them can choose to reincarnate. Generally, the ones that are choosing to reincarnate are ones that had an experience where they were either stillborn or aborted or miscarried on Earth, and they'd never had an Earth existence before. And they feel like they've missed out on that Earth existence, and so they've chosen to reincarnate and go through that process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
but there is one or two that are from the first century in addition to the original 14. Yeah. That's only happened in the last sort of six years, or five years or six years or so. Yeah, so they're all very young. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like in the 22nd century? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you, what I, I do, just, you do when you wake up in the morning? Or is it, <laughs> <laughs> where do you hang out? Well, you don't wake up and you don't sleep, for example. One of the important things to understand is your state in that condition. And um, if you could imagine... Um, well, if you can imagine like 2,000 years of experience, that you've had 2,000 years of experience. So you imagine that there's, there's huge amounts of memories involved in that process, obviously, isn't there? Right? So if you'd lived for 2,000 years on Earth, let's say, or you'd live for a, sort of 60 or 70 years here on Earth, and then you'd live for, you know, through the spheres of the spirit world, which are all varying, varying in degrees of beauty, and you've lived all of that. If you can imagine that for a moment. And imagine also that somebody else who is your soulmate also has lived through all of that. And the two of you are now so combined in terms of how you live that you have one thought and you have one feeling when you're having feelings. And when I say one feeling, I don't mean that you only have one feeling because in that state in the 22nd sphere, you can actually have thousands of feelings at the same time. Right? But both of you together are experiencing those feelings as if you are both having them at the same time. And can mobile phones please get turned off? That That's okay. <laughs> and now, if you can imagine that state where you're together in that state, existing in that state, and every single desire you have is purely motivated, in other words, it's pure in relationship to God's desires. You're allowed to do anything you wish, and you do do everything you desire, but everything you desire is in harmony with love. So that's, that's important to understand. And if you can imagine all of these emotions flowing between the two halves of the soul constantly, it's like circulating around the soul, and those emotions instantly get transformed into actions. So as soon as you have a desire to create something, it is instantly manifested. So if you can imagine that. So let's say you had a desire right now, like let's say Peter came here and he looked at this property he had, and he had a vision of the future if he wanted it to look how it looks now. And when he first came here, it was just like a blank block of land. He could just, in that state, instantly desire what he pictures, and it would automatically just be. So if you imagine if you had that power to create instantly like that. Isn't that also an ability of someone in the sixth sphere? Um, yes, but to a far lesser extent. Um, obviously in the 22nd sphere and the sixth sphere states, there's a lot of states in between those two places. In the sixth sphere, they have the ability to do it only to a certain degree. But in the 22nd sphere, it's like every single possible thing you can imagine, you can create instantly. You can also have hundreds of thousands of conversations at the same time. Uh, and be co fully conscious of every single conversation in that state. So you're this multitasking, you can think of it as a multitasking engine really. But every conversation you have is actually not intellectual, it's actually emotional. So 
if you imagine that. So imagine that you could feel every single person's feelings in this room and you knew what every single person was feeling and thinking right at this moment. How would you feel about that? Totally overwhelmed. <laughs> Alright, so you can see why we've got to grow to that place. Can you see that? Because the, at the moment, if, if I had a feeling of sadness in me and I could feel 40 of you also have feelings of sadness, what's going to happen to my sadness? It's going to be brought up higher and higher and higher, isn't it? It's going to become more intense. So obviously, we have to grow from the place where we are now to the place where we're capable of these things. But that's what God has put before you. This ability to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and grow without any limit. Um, what kind of qualities would help you to be able to pick up everyone's feelings but still stay stable? And picking up people's feelings... Um, but still staying in your own emotion is not about developing qualities intellectually. It's about releasing inside of you the emotions inside of you that resonate with everybody's feelings so that you can determine the difference between your own feelings and their feelings. So for example, um, the last say, three months in particular I've been working through feelings of unworthiness where I've been feeling really deep feelings of uh, like that I'm worthless, you know, and... and and, I, and nobody, nobody's going to want to listen to anything I've got to say, and all those kind of feelings. Now, in that state, every single person that feels that I'm unworthy, is going, I'm going to feel their emotions much more strongly than a person who feels that I am worthy. So every time you project at me a feeling, oh, he's not Jesus, he's just mm -hmm. not good enough to be Jesus, right? I feel that emotion. And so if I've got, and quite often I do have an auditorium of 100 people all projecting that emotion at me, so you, can you understand what that would then feel like? Like I would then feel that emotion, and I do feel that emotion really strongly, and sometimes I go away from a group and just cry for a couple of hours, feeling that emotion of unworthiness. We all hope that you're getting very positive vibes right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not you all. <laughs> anyway. Because I can feel the majority of your emotions. So... Um, the, the, the key thing is, when you become at one with God, if I could describe that, pro that feeling for a moment, in terms of your interactivity with others, what will happen is that you will feel everyone else's emotions as, as strongly many times as you feel your own, but you will not resonate with those emotions. Do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah. Those emotions will not harm you anymore. You will just feel them. You will just know what the person's feeling. So, so, for example, if I'm at one with God and someone's angry with me, which will often happen, by the way, because when you're at one with God, you're in a state of truth, and when you're in a state of truth, you speak the truth, and what do most people feel about truth? Mm -hmm. yeah, they don't like it, right? So they then project anger back at you, right? So when you're in a state of a one with God, people will project anger at you, but it will not affect you at all. You will not feel like you're unworthy. You will not feel like, you know, that you deserved that anger. You will not even feel anything negative from that projection. And yet, all you will feel is love for them. And you'll actually even know the exact cause of why they're angry with you, even if they don't know themselves. Yeah. So it's a very good place to be in terms of your interaction with people. And you do not respond. It's a bit like uh, another thing that uh, I've been working through myself is this, is the feeling that I need to give up every need that's external to myself. 
you understand what I mean by that? Like, you think about it, in a relationship, when do you get angry with the other person? Usually it's because they didn't do something that you feel they should have done. Isn't that right? Now, when you become a one with God, you will give up the desire for anyone around you to do anything. Because every desire that's outside of you is actually not in harmony with love. Because what does love do? Love only gives and desires from within itself. Love doesn't get want something from someone else. So you hear the term unconditional love? That's the kind of love God has for you, right? When you're at one with God, you will have that same quality of love for everyone around you. Your partner, your children, your friends, your acquaintances, people you don't even know. Every single plant, animal around you, you will also have that feeling of love for as well. Where it will be unconditional. Unconditional meaning that you will not want anything in return at any time. Now, that's a pretty big thing when you think about it, isn't it? Like what I had to do once I realised all those things is I started listing all of the things I wanted from other people. <laughs> and I realised that every single one of those things that I wanted from other people, I was going to have to release emotionally from myself. That's a pretty big task when you think about it, isn't it? Every single thing that you desire from someone else, you are going to have to release emotionally that desire from within yourself if you want to be at one with God. Because God does not have those desires. God does not desire anything from you. God doesn't even desire your love, in fact. He's got his all anyway. Well, in many cases, he, the gift of free will means that he doesn't have your love straight away. It's not, an, it's not a thing that is, is a given. Because he gave you the gift of free will, he gave you the, that, that gift means that you allow to love the people you want to love and dislike the people you want to dislike. And if one of those people happens to be God, or one of those entities happens to be God, then that's okay with God as well. Right? You can hate God if that's what you want. God allows you to do that. That's the gift of free will, right? But you're not going to be at one with God in that state, obviously. Right? When you're at one with God, you will obviously love God, and God, obviously, you will feel God's love inside of you, being reflected inside of you. But... It's not a given that you love God or that God is receiving your love. God gives you the ability to desire to give God love, just like God has the desire to give his love to you. But God doesn't demand love of you. Right? And so anytime you demand love of someone else, are you in harmony with God's love or what? No. no. Can you see that's pretty challenging, isn't it? Very challenging. But isn't love just is? Just is. When you get to the point where you embrace free will, then love just is. It just is. And so it just, it, it, not just, it, it just, it's just there. Yeah. It is. And it, well, and so I suppose I, it depends on how you describe love, doesn't it? Love, love is an emotion, right? Would you agree with that? Is love an emotion? Yes. yes. I don't think it's just. I think it's. <coughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. It's more than that. But it is an emotion, isn't it? Okay. Now, if that's an emotion, then love is a feeling that gets transmitted, doesn't it? Then, 
So when you love something, you have a feeling for it, a longing for it. Is that a connection to it? You have a yeah. You have a you have a feeling or a longing for it. A connection to it. A connection to it. Huh? And it, it's a feeling where your heart bursts with desire for that thing, isn't it? That's how you often feel inside of yourself. That that's the feeling of love coming from you. Well, God has that desire for you. God has a desire to give you that feeling from herself. Right? And when you are in a condition of abundance with God, you will have a desire to give that feeling to others. But if we start describing it as an energy or we get philosophical about it, often what will happen is we won't understand it as well. If we can just get back to the basics, and that is love is an emotion, and therefore it is an emotion I will feel for others or an emotion God will feel for me. And I will feel it. In my heart I will feel that emotion. So everything coming from God, in fact everything coming from your soul, is emotional in some way. It's going to affect you emotionally, it's going to be feeling based. And it will generate thoughts and those kind of things. So when, when you're in the flow, what does it feel like? Um, well, I've had, I've had probably only memories of it three times so far in my progression now, because I'm still working through emotions of unworthiness. But on those three times, um, it's very hard to describe feelings with words, isn't it? Yeah. Um, one of the times I felt like a little child suspended in mid-air, <coughs> giggling my heart, heart out and doing somersaults. That's what I felt like one time. It lasted about 15 seconds. Right? And that's what I felt like one time. Um, now, I have memories of the times in the spirit world where I've felt it, but I can't describe those, those events in, in words. Um, but that, if you can imagine yourself being totally, a feeling of total love yourself, total love for everything around you, total love for God and the universe that he's created, and total love for yourself, which is probably the biggest issue, isn't it, that most of us face. If you can imagine that state and being in that state constantly, so there's not a moment of your life, day, sleeping or awake, where you're not in that state, then that's what it's going to feel like being at one with God. So does that mean that it's a form of meditation, or like, is it a, is it going into, you know, like going into this within? Um, I just have a question before you wipe that off. Oh yeah, okay. Um, can I answer your question first, then? Because I want to get your question opens up a huge, a huge discussion, and that is the discussion of what the soul is and what the spirit body is and how the two interact with each other and all of those kind of things. So there's a lot. There's a lot involved in the answer um, that, that I could give you on that particular thing. From a, if I could just go basic for the moment, and we might get to that a little later. Basically, if, if you can picture yourself, whenever, you go whenever you're meditating, what you are doing is you're intellectually trying to get your body, your spirit body, in a, into a place of calmness. Agreed? That's what you're doing when you meditate. You need to do that because there's emotions in you that take you out of a state of calmness. 
And you would be better off allowing yourself to feel those emotions and release them. And then you will automatically be in a state of calmness whether you're meditating or not. Did that make sense? Yes. So today what happens with a lot of people is we think, I need to meditate in order to progress spiritually. And you do need to do that on the natural love path. On the divine love path, it's almost the opposite process. What you need to do is tune into the emotions you want to try to avoid when you meditate. So, um, for example, one emotion you may feel before you want to go and meditate is you feel like the world is crushing in upon you. Like the, how many of you have felt that? Like this feeling that you're in this world that just doesn't like you and, and you just want to get away from this world a bit, right? Well, what's the emotion you need to feel? You need to feel like you're under attack because that's how you feel. Right? But when you meditate, what you're doing is you're running away from that emotion. Now, that emotion remains in your soul. It remains in your feelings unless you experience it. So meditating is not going to get you out of that emotion for good. It's only going to help you stay away from that emotion temporarily. And that's the issue you face when you meditate. So there's, there's no problem with meditating, but if you're using meditation to get away from how you're feeling inside, then you are actually doing the opposite of what you need to do to connect to God. You will connect to yourself, but you won't connect with, to God that way. And the process of receiving divine love is about receiving God's love into your soul and that transforming your soul into a new creature. That's what the process of divine love does. And you will never become that new creature without that love flowing through you. And so the process is don't avoid your emotions. Now when I say don't avoid your emotions, I mean don't avoid your causal emotions. Do you understand what I mean? No, I mean don't avoid the emotions that are the reasons why you get angry. And the reasons why you get sad, and the reasons why you get afraid, and the reasons why you're jealous, and all of those kind of emotions. Don't avoid those emotions that are underneath those capping emotions. Don't avoid those. If you avoid those, you will never become at one with God. You can progress, because you can meditate and progress, and eventually detune yourself from those emotions. Do, do you remember in the channeling that... Uh, those of you who have listened to the DVDs, you remember Lucinda channeling. Natalie did. Yep. Remember Lucinda said that in the sixth sphere, that's what she realised. She said she realised that she'd actually detuned herself from her true emotional condition. And when she went back to the third sphere, she retuned herself back into her true emotional condition and realised that she had emotions to work through that she thought in the sixth sphere state that didn't exist. And that's why. Because you can actually meditate your way and detune yourself, intellectually detune yourself away from the majority of your emotions and feel like you're a calm person inside of your heart, but actually be quite emotionally damaged still. And that's something to just be aware of on the path. Now, yes, I just wanted to clarify. Yep. Is it possible for me as an individual self yep. um, to realise the wholeness of my soul while I am by myself in my physical body, or is it only possible to actualize this wholeness through a, a soul mate? Um, well, firstly, the soul mate combination cannot occur unless you have already, as an individual half of the soul, become whole. 
So, so before the soulmate uh, union can occur, as an individual, you also need to firstly become whole, and that process actually occurs in the transition between the seventh and the eighth spheres. And so you can do that on Earth. You can become whole within yourself, and that's the process I'm going through right now. I realise that I have a lot of soulmate neediness right, that I need to get rid of inside of myself. And once I get rid of those things, then I will be able to be completely whole within myself. And ironically, that's probably going to be the time my soulmate feels more attracted to me.
Uh, you don't feel like you need another person in your entire existence. You love everyone, but you don't need them. Do you know the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, you're also in a state where, where everything that you ch- choose to do... See you later. My, my son will just go. See you, guys. Um, you're in a state where everything that you choose to do, everything you desire with all your heart happens as well. And you're also able to read almost every single person, well you can read every single person's emotions and the reasons for those emotions in every interaction that you have with everyone else. So everything around you is totally naked to you. And instead of seeing the face of the person, you don't see their face very much. You feel the person. You feel the energy coming from the person. And you relate to that at the soul level constantly. Right? So that's why I could go up to some people and say, why don't you come and follow me, without them, me even meeting them before. Because I could feel that they were ready for that particular event to occur. Right? And you will be able to do that. Here on Earth, very shortly, if you allow yourself to do with your emotions. So in the Bible, you were crucified, died, yeah. buried, yeah. resurrected, went to heaven. Yeah. Did it happen? Um, not entirely in the way described. I was crucified. Um, by uh, The instant that you die, obviously, your spirit body separates from your material body. So while Mary, my soulmate, was holding my body after they took me down from the stake, um, I was trying to hug her and console her. Right? So you're instantly resurrected from a physical perspective. Um, when I talked about the resurrection in, in the first century, I wasn't referring to a physical resurrection anyway. I was referring to the resurrection of the soul anyway. But um, then, yes, I, did, I folded up the cloak that was surrounding my body in, in the tomb and dematerialised my body to prove to the people who, who I'd left that, uh, that there was a thing of, as, a res, as a resurrection. In other words, to prove that the, mater- that the spirit body lived on, that the person <coughs> lived on. And then I materialised to nearly 500 people at different stages over the next 40 days. And in amongst that time, I also visited the hells and started teaching in the hells the things that I've been teaching on earth. And so there was a lot of events that occurred that weren't recorded in the Bible during that phase, obviously. Um, but yes, uh, a lot of it is, is fairly accurate. So the Shroud of Turin is accurate? Um, the Shroud itself? Mm. No. <laughs> Just ask. So is it then true in the Mormon tradition that you travelled to the Americas? I never. Um, there are a lot of traditions in both in the Hindu and, and Buddhist and uh, Muslim traditions, and also in the Mormon religion and so forth. That I went to other places other than Israel, and the only other place I ever lived in other than Israel was in Egypt. Um, and I lived in Egypt from the time I was born to the, or shortly after birth to the time I was twelve, and that was the only other place I lived. Obviously. In your sleep state, just like me in my sleep state, can visit anywhere. And obviously in my sleep state, yes, I've visited all sorts of places and locations around the earth, just like you have. Right? So in your sleep state, you do this every night. Right? 
And a lot of the things that are now mentioned, which have been channelled, say that I visited here or I visited there, but I never visited those locations in my awake state. I only lived in Egypt and Israel. Where do the hells come in all this spherical system? The hells exist in the first sphere. So the first, there's a first sphere, second sphere, third sphere, fourth sphere, and so forth. You can think of these, every sphere down from the seventh sphere, the eighth sphere is a place of atonement with God, right? And if you reverse and go back down from the eighth <coughs> sphere, the seventh sphere is now a bit darker than that, if you like. And the sixth sphere is a bit darker than that, and the fifth sphere is a bit darker than that. Until you start getting down to the first sphere, the first sphere, particularly in the lower regions, gets very dark. And in the very lowest of the first sphere, there are planes, and there's literally thousands of them, in which they're so dark that it's like walking around in blackness. And there's no love there at all. And the people who live there have very little love in their own soul as well. And they are called the hells. So there's no fiery torment or anything like that. But it is very difficult to live there because it's like living... Imagine all of a sudden if we got all of you and then put you in with a group of a thousand murderers who all still wanted to murder. Do you think you'd last very long? You wouldn't, would you? No. And in terms of your own feelings, it would be terrible to be there, wouldn't it? Yeah. And that's what it's like going from one of the other spheres down to the bottom of the first sphere. You can't get harmed, physically harmed, in your spirit body, but uh, the energy that comes from those locations is very powerfully negative, very powerfully out of harmony with love. Does the spirit body, either on earth or in other realms, have an ego? Um, well, ego is a funny word that's probably changed in its meaning a lot over the centuries that I've been in existence anyway. Years ago, ego used to mean you. So when we ever talked about the ego, we were talking about the soul. Right? And so often we would use the word ego for the, and inter interchange it with the word soul. But nowadays the term ego has come to mean sort of pride or resistance to dealing with your emotions or having a lack of humility. And uh, so nowadays ego is quite often used in, in you know, conjunction with those feelings. So nowadays what it tends to happen is when we say the word ego, we're actually saying that there's this part of us that resists everything. Right? And in truth, it's just in our soul, we have some resistance to dealing with certain emotions that are painful. And that really is what your ego is. Nowadays. But years and years ago, and I'm talking like hundreds of years ago, we used to use the word term ego just to mean soul. So it's changed in its meaning quite a lot. But nowadays, um, yes, you will need to learn to give up ego if you use it in today's term. And by that I mean you will need to learn to give up the desire to hold on to emotions. The desire to hold on to a definition of yourself. You will need to give that up. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. At the moment, inside of your mind, you have all these constructed definitions of yourself that you believe yourself to be, but in your heart, you don't feel those feelings. And so that, what that does is it sets up a very much disharmony within you. In your mind, you're thinking you're one thing, and in your heart, you're feeling something quite different. <coughs> now, perhaps I can illustrate this in a religious sense. Um, 
A lot of Christian religions are very judgmental of other people who are not of their religion. Agree? Now, when you think about that, and you, then, then you read what the Bible says, what does the Bible say, say about judgment? It says, exactly, don't judge lest you be judged, right? That's what the Bible says. And yet these people who believe that they're practicing the Bible actually judge everyone as unworthy unless they are doing their religious practice. So what are they actually doing right at that moment? They're, yeah, they're being hypocrites. They're thinking that they are actually in line with God here, but in their heart, their heart's full of judgment. So they are not in line with God here. Now, you can walk around thinking you're in line with God here forever, if you want. That's your free will. But sooner or later, the law of attraction will bring to you and show you that you're obviously not in harmony with God. So the key thing for you to do is to get away from the definitions that you've created that you've now got in your mind about yourself and to actually live completely in harmony with your feelings that are within your soul because that is the real you. Now when you start doing that, one of the feelings might be angry. Oh man, I'm really angry. That might be a feeling that's in your soul. Well that's far better being and recognising that you're in a state of anger than it is to ignore the fact that you're in the state of anger and act like you think you're not. Right? That's more truthful. But then if you were more truthful again, what you would do is you'd say to yourself, alright, I'm angry, what's underneath my anger? What's the feeling that I'm trying to avoid? Because anger is just a creation that I make to feel more powerful <coughs> so that I can avoid an underlying feeling that is more painful than the anger itself. <coughs> So allow yourself to feel that. What will happen then, so getting back to the ego thing, what will happen then is, instead of holding on to a definition of yourself in your mind, you will actually be real in your feelings with every interaction with everyone else. And that's the state God wants you to be in. Now, he gives you free will. He, he's saying to you, you don't have to be in that state. But you will not be able to connect to God <coughs> while you hold on to these definitions of yourself in your mind. Yeah, this is actually, you answered my question because I wanted to ask what about the communication, the words, which, which because the energies are changing and then and more and more, more you face the truth inside of you, your heart opens, but also your, your throat will open up and then so like, and even in your relationships towards, towards possibly difficult people, which is just me, I am looking at myself in the mirror. That's right. And, and, but then, how, how do you go? How did you experience this with, with the words, the communication? Because then you start to speak the truth and then people, you know, more and more people... I was talking, was it uh, Adrian, was it? Yeah, before, um, and we were saying how when you're in a state of complete truth, you will attract people in a state of complete error because they need your truth to actually deal with their emotions. So that obviously means that you will attract people who are angry with you and you will attract people who are upset with you and you will need to, and you'll get into a state where that won't affect you at all and you will always stay in your truth because they need that truth in order to access their own emotions. So the key thing is to understand that every interaction is emotional. So I find myself doing things all the time now that I would not normally think of doing. For example, 
I normally wash my vegetables before I cook them, right? But I was with one uh, lady who I never washed my vegetables with when I, when I cooked. Uh, when I say I was with her, she travelled with me, right? And she got upset with me every time I didn't wash my vegetables, right? So why didn't I wash my vegetables? The really reason why, I had no idea until I thought about it, and then I realised what was going on. I could feel her resistance to that emotion inside of her, and I just automatically acted the opposite way <laughs> that she wanted me to. No, no, it wasn't a conscious thing. I didn't think about doing it. I just, I just automatically did it. And, and, and when I look back and I think, why did I do that for? Right? But I just automatically did it. And, and it actually, every time, triggered her emotion. And so you'll find yourself doing things once you're living in the soul. It's like, I'll give another example. There's, a, there's a, some stuff I'm typing up. Uh, over, that I've been typing up over the last few days, which was a recording of a conversation I had on the phone with a group of people in Florida. And one of the fellow, his name is Michael, and he wouldn't mind me talking about him, he's quite open. And he has this feeling of a really strong, needy feeling coming from him. And he really, he needs love, like that's the feeling he has coming from him. So he'll walk into a room, and when he walks into this room, all of you who feel like you've got a hug in would run up and hug him. Right? And no joke, he'd have a long line of ladies in particular right? who were willing to give him a big hug. Right? And, he's, and he's a real soft, gentlemanly man and, uh, and a lot of the women just, just gravitate towards him because he just has that emotional injury. And it's to do with women in particular. Now, when he walks in the room, he wants a hug. And his partner walks in the room, her name's Dana, and I give her a hug and I don't give him one. And I didn't even think about it. <laughs> and then afterwards when I thought about it, I realised why. Because he had a needy emotion coming from him that I didn't want to satisfy. And to, to satisfy it would mean that I was actually unloving to him. You see, every time we satisfy another person's addiction, what we're actually doing is being unloving to them. So the more you become addicted, and you'll notice this in a partnership a lot, eh? The more you become addicted to getting hugs from your partner, the less they seem to want to do it. Notice that? Interesting, hey? You notice that as a male, the more you want sex with your wife, the less sex you generally get. You notice that? And that's because when we desire something outside of ourselves, what is often happening is we're no longer in a loving state, and the other party can feel that. And when they feel that, they no longer want to give of themselves in that state. So all of the interactions you will have in the future will be emotional like that. And you, a lot of times you won't even have to say words to a person. You'll just say it. But if you do say words, often the words will be in total harmony with your feelings. Well, they will be totally in harmony with your feelings. And when that happens, everyone around you is going to be triggered <laughs> with their emotions if they're in disharmony with love themselves. So they're all going to struggle with you for a bit. Some to look forward to. <laughs> okay. So do you understand though how it gets darker and darker and darker as you come down through the spheres? And in the deepest of the spheres, which is in the first sphere, the hells, that is a really dark place, very much devoid of love. And the people who are living there, it's the perfect place for everyone living there 
because they are just as devoid of love as the place is. And that's why it's so important to start dealing with your emotions here on earth. Because, and understand that your emotions and, and your reflection of love is everything to do with how you're going to progress. Because if you do it here, you won't arrive in one of the lower spheres, finding it very hard to do it there. So in a lot of ways, it is much easier to, to do the progression that would normally occur in the first sphere. It's much easier to do it here on Earth than it is to do it anywhere else. <coughs> AJ, where is the majority of humankind living in, in what sphere? In now? the first sphere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and I think the same question was asked of Lucinda in one of those channelings, and she said very few are in the second, and a very, very low minority are in the third when they pass. The majority of people pass in the first sphere. Yep. And the earth itself is in a first sphere environment. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, AJ, when a person dies, is it true that other family members who are already passed over, are there to meet them? Not always. It can occur, but it just depends on how the laws of attraction occur. And for instance, if, um, let's say we were close family here on earth. So let's say, who of you have close families, by the way? Not, not maybe half? Okay. So um, let's say you're a close family here on earth. So you really know your mum and your dad well, you go and visit them often. They visit you often and so forth. There's a lot of care and love, you know, in those relationships. So let's say now mum and dad finish up passing. So they then would pass, most of the time they'd be passing, and I, I don't mean to slight your mum and dad's, but based on what I just said, which is the majority of mankind are in the first sphere, most of the time our parents will pass into the first sphere. Right? Now, they'll pass into the first sphere and then they'll continue their progression. So they will progress and over the next 10, 15, 20 years, they might progress up a few spheres or one sphere or none at all. just depends on their desire. Right? In Lucinda's case in the channeling, she progressed from the third sphere to the sixth sphere in a space of about 50 years or so. Right? So that gives you a bit of an idea of the time frames that different people face. So they may progress or they may remain stagnant. It all just depends on their own desire right? and their resistance to dealing with their emotions. So if dad's really intellectual, mum might progress if she's more emotional and she might progress to the third sphere and dad might be hanging around in the first sphere by the time you pass. Does he know she's in the third sphere? Uh, he probably won't know she's in the third, but she will certainly know he's in the first. So will she come and say hello? Uh, it depends on whether they were soulmates or not, um, in most cases. And it depends on the laws of attraction. <coughs> And perhaps I can illustrate by talking about a few spirit conversations I've had with spirits and give you an idea. Um, I had one couple come to me at one point, to, this would have been about two years ago, to have a chat. They were in the spirit world. The wife was in the spirit world for about eight years and the man was in the spirit world for about three years. Uh, no, sorry, other way around. The man was in the spirit world eight years, the wife about three years. Now, um, when he passed, he passed into the second sphere, which is like it's fairly unusual. So he was in quite a good condition. He was a very kindly man, uh, very gentle, kind man. But he was, he was sitting here in the bottom of the second sphere in a, quite a nice location. Or the top of the first when he first passed, I think he said. And then he, when he talked to me, he was in the second. And his wife passed into the hills. Right? So they were married here on earth and they lived together here on earth.
but his wife passed into the house. So she passed into the lower parts of the first sphere. And they both came to me to ask me the question, why was it that she couldn't get to where he was? Because right? she was yelling and screaming at him all the time <laughs> about him being in a better place than her. And he was, she was blaming him. Which, by the way, was a complete mirror of their relationship on earth. What, what happened on earth was that she blamed him right, for everything that she felt on earth. And he took the blame. Right? So he was one of these men that you would say didn't wear the pants in the tent. Right? Um, and, and I mean in the sense that he would often let himself be browbeaten by her. Now she often had the feeling within herself that she wanted to browbeat him as well. Which was the reason why, in fact, one of the reasons why she passed into the first fear. So we began talking, and she did not even want to listen to the answer as to why she was in the first fear. And as soon as I began talking about soulmates, she said, where's my soulmate? And the instant she said that, a third spirit appeared, and that was her soulmate, and they were both in the same condition in the hills, and they went off. They didn't talk anymore. And the man stayed talking with me. So he stayed. Now, now his wife just ran off on him. <laughs> and this is exactly how it happened. His wife just ran off on him. Like, and he's now like shocked because the person who had been trying to help for the last three years now couldn't care less about him at all. Which, by the way, she couldn't care less about him when he was on earth anyway, which was an emotion he had to face as well. And then we started talking about his soulmate, and it actually turned out that he was gay. Um, so his soulmate was a male soulmate. And, uh, and he, uh, once he realised that and worked his way through some emotions, he's now progressed on the divine path, and he's now at one with God. But his wife, who he married on earth, is still in the first sphere. Now let's say you were one of their children. Who's probably going to come to visit you when you pass? Who's in a better condition of love? The dad. So dad's probably going to come and visit you, right, when you pass. Who's not in a very good condition of love? She's probably not going to come and visit you when you pass. She'd be too busy doing her own thing. Yeah. So does that answer what actually happens sometimes when you pass? Like, so it depends totally on the... Law of attraction and what's actually gone on with your family as to what will occur. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when spirits are down in the hells and it's, it's fairly unpleasant there, yep. could you talk about uh, what happens when they come and invade people that are still alive and how you can tell if that's happened and what are some of the, what are some of the common clues and indications if you're being influenced um, by spirits and you don't realise it, what, what sure. can you notice? Let's draw your bodies. You've got your physical body, your spirit body, and then let's draw your soul like it's the half of the soul, right? So let's say I'm a male, so it's the masculine half of the soul. Alright, now between the bodies there's an interface, and between that body is called the silver cord. Alright? You could think of the silver cord as, a, as electrical and chemical impulses that pass between 
your physical sensations and in, into eventually into your soul. Right? So every experience, so when you pinch yourself in your body, what will normally happen there is you've got a physical sensation going up to your brain that gets referred into your spirit form through this cord. You follow me? Every sensation you have is going through these channels. Alright, now, there are also lots of spirits around you. And there is lots of emotions inside of you, some of which you've dealt with, and are good emotions, you could say, or blissful emotions, and other emotions that you haven't dealt with yet, and they are more like, you know, angry or sad or lonely or empty or unworthy or all those kind of emotions, right? So your soul has those emotions in it. So I'll just write down that. That's got the emotions. Right? So the soul's got the emotions in, in there. Now those emotions cause all of your attractions. So you remember in, in the uh, presentation with those over here, I said the soul is like this great big beam going out to the universe, like a magnet if you like, saying whatever you feel to the rest of the universe. It matters not whether you know you're feeling it, it's just whether you're feeling it. So if the feeling you have in your soul, which is usually across here it will be, of unworthiness, you're actually like this great big beam going out to the universe saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, right? Great big lighthouse beam going out there. And any, who's going to be attracted to you? People who will treat you as if you're unworthy. <coughs> That's what's going to be attracted to you. Now that includes spirits who want to treat you that way. Right? Now, just saying a sec, so, so the spirits will want to come and connect with these emotions inside of you. And they'll want to utilise it for their own advantage if they're in a low place. And those spirits are often called earthbound spirits. You've heard of that term? Yeah. Now, an earthbound spirit is a person who's passed over and who does not want to live in the spirit world yet. And so what they want to do is they want to stay living here on earth. And the only <coughs> way they can do it is by connecting to the physical body of another person through this silver cord. And they connect to parts of your body. Now, there was a lady, I was talking to a lady in Greece uh, just in a recent trip. And <coughs> this lady was a healer. And... In her healing, she had healed her husband 17 years prior from having diabetes. So he had diabetes that was killing him, and she healed him from the diabetes. But she instantly got diabetes. And now she was dying from diabetes. And then I asked her a bit about her family history, and her, his father, her husband's father, died from diabetes. And her husband's grandfather also died of diabetes. And I realised there was this spirit inside of her who was connected to this region which was creating into the uh, pancreas region of the body that was creating her diabetes issues, right? And what we did is we had a few mediums there so we managed to talk to this spirit, the spirit who was actually invading her body. And this spirit had actually, for the last 200 years, gone from person to person to person to person, connecting to their emotions, finding people, and in this case, in this family, he'd found 
three successive generations of men who had the emotion that he could connect to that caused their diabetes and he killed them. They all died from diabetes. We started talking to the spirit and eventually he moved out of her body and we started talking to him about what emotions were in him, about why he was connecting to the lady and he actually left her body after that. But he, one of the things he had to come to realise is that he killed a number of people because of his choice to actually stay earthbound. And so what I'm saying is, the did, emotions... May I, may I ask, did that spirit realise it? I mean, emotionally understand it? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He came back a day later and actually talked to us again and thanked us for talking to him through the whole process. And did he choose to address his emotions? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. He's on the divine path now. What does her original spirit think about all this, being a maiden? Her original, what do you mean by her original spirit? Well, her own spirit, her soul that she was. Oh, well, see, that, and this is the thing that most people don't understand. This is the real you, your soul, right? Your real you is your emotions. Your emotions attract these events. So when you say, what do you think about it, or what do you feel yeah, about well, it, often they're two different things. I mean, right? really. So, how do you think about it? Well, obviously, when most of us think about this, we think, how dare a spirit influence my body? How dare they do this? How dare they do that? What's going on? Why does God allow that? Right? These are the thoughts that we might have. But the feelings are, I have unworthiness within me that I'm unwilling to address, and that unworthiness, because I'm unwilling to address it, is going to attract people who will treat me unworthily. And that is the law of attraction at work. So that's how you feel. What I meant though was that um, diabetic type um, spirit was attracted to her pancreas, but um, her own soul must, well, would they be aware that that was happening? Because she sort of doubled up in that area. No, she, she, she did, wasn't aware that her disease was caused by a spirit. Right? But she was aware that something had gone on because she got diabetes the instant she healed her husband of diabetes. Yeah, I didn't mean her intellectual self, I meant her real self, her soul. Yeah, when I say yourself, yeah, when I say yourself, I'm talking about yourself, all of yourself. Your so-called intellectual self is really just in many cases a mask for your real self and your real self is all about your emotions and all of this intellectual stuff in the end won't help you in any of your progression it's your emotions that are going to help you in your progression where does memory reside then? in the soul that's how I can so, remember my first century life right. because so I don't have the same body bodies that I had then Sorry. Not Absolutely, categorically, absolutely, not in the mind. Not in the mind. Not in the brain, certainly not in the brain. Because the instant you die, you still will have your memories and yet your body will be dead. Right, so do you go with the spiritual heart thing? That that's where the memory is? Because well, what they call the spiritual heart is the soul. Right, yeah. okay. And that's where the memories are? That's where the memories are. In a ganglion, would you say, ganglion of cells, or, or not really? That's well, that's just a physical way of trying to describe how the soul is constructed. The truth yeah, but is... we have to use words so that we can... Yeah. We? we need well, words to convey... If you feel your emotions, you won't need to use the words. No. Right, well, what about the idea of... And it's only... I'm just putting it forward, so I'm, you know, yeah. as confused as anyone else. Yeah. Or... I'm confused. Yeah, okay. I have confusion. You have confusion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not confused. There is confusion there. Good night. Is 
and it's completely gone. <laughs> it'll come back. <laughs> if, if it's there, it'll come back. Memory. the The memories are retained in the soul, and no matter what happens in your existence, every single experience you have, including every single experience you have in your sleep state, you will remember at some point in the future. So what about the brain? If it's damaged in trauma or disease, it cannot remember anything. The soul still remembers. But what actually happens with a brain that may be damaged, a lot of the sensations that occur um, don't filter through to the soul. And so therefore, a lot of people have that area of time of their life that's sort of like a blank. And when they pass into the spirit world, they're often at a great advantage because they haven't had all of these negative experiences that have entered their soul because their mind's been damaged. So if a person has a damaged mind here on earth, it's not any impediment to them in the spirit world at all. As soon as they pass, you can help them through the process of realising they're no longer damaged and that's all they need to realise. And after that point, they begin new experiences being filtered through their spirit body into their soul. Right? Now the brain is just a piece of flesh that's a heap of processing. It does not contain any of your memories at all. Right? If a part of the damage, part of your brain gets damaged, what actually is happening is the, part, the reason why memories get lost is because that part of the brain was used to interface to the spirit body's mind which could access the soul's memories. Right, so the memories are here and then they get referred to through those devices. Some people, like. call, that, some people call that subconscious. The subconscious, subconscious, yeah. The, the soul is often referred to as our subconscious. The truth is that you can become fully conscious, and that's what Christ consciousness is all about. I was waiting. I wanted you to say Christ consciousness. I so wanted you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my soul must have felt that. <laughs> but that's what Christ consciousness is all about. Christ consciousness is all about living in this place, totally. Living in the place of your emotions, totally. Can you just repeat that? I just loved, Can you just repeat it? So Christ consciousness. Is, uh, three, is basically, you could say, three conditions. The first condition is you've received divine love to the point of a one with God. In that state, you will be fully emotional being. You will not be an intellectual being. When I say not be an intellectual being, you'll have some amazing intellectual conversations with people, but they'll all come from your emotion. You follow me? Yeah. And then thirdly, you will have a deep, deep desire for truth, for absolute truth, not your own truth, but for God's truth, in that state of Christ consciousness. Yeah. So we're, until we're at a point of oneness with God, we're not really conscious. We don't really have Christ consciousness at that point. The word Christ, by the way, rather than thinking about it too religiously, you could think of Christ as the divine love of God entering you. That's what it means to be Christ dead. Right. Now, the very first person that happened to was myself in the first century. Right. But every single person can be Christ dead. Every single person can have the divine love to the point of at one moment with God.
second, you talk about avatars and what level they are, and they obviously are one we've got and got incredible omnipotent omniscience abilities. Can you discuss them? Sure. You're not going to probably like my answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. That's just an emotion as well, isn't it? <laughs> Remember, we've got the spheres. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This barrier here is the barrier, that's where you become at one with God. So between the seventh and the eighth sphere. But there is a barrier also above the sixth sphere that you cannot progress beyond that barrier unless divine love has entered your soul to a certain degree. Now, any person who calls themselves an avatar is actually not at one with God yet. The reason why is if they were at one with God, they would never call themselves an avatar. Because they would realise that we're all just God's children and we're all just equal. In, 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 and so they would never call them, make themselves more powerful than any other person. All of the avatars are... And they're not necessarily in this state, by the way. Almost all of them have a spirit, a guiding spirit, with them that they are very deeply, mediumistically connected with. And the guiding spirit, through them, does many things on earth. <coughs> and that guiding spirit believes themselves to be God. And in fact... The majority, and remember this was said in the channeling with Lucinda, remember Lucinda said yep. that many people in the sixth sphere believe themselves to be God. In fact, many in the second sphere, by the way, believe themselves to be God. Because if you have the viewpoint that we are all a part of God, then it's only one step from there to say that I am God, isn't it? And so that's what they say, they are God. But God is actually a separate entity to myself. I am not God. I can be at one with God due to receiving her love, but I am not God. Nobody is. Aren't you like a vehicle for God? And we can only be a vehicle for God once we're at one with God. Until that time, we are learning to be a vehicle for God, I suppose you could say. But God cannot connect through us fully until we're at one with God. In other words, until we've received enough divine love in our own souls that we're now capable of reflecting that love completely. Right? And that means releasing lots of negative emotions, doesn't it? So that we can be in that state. So, avatars and all those different people are usually guided by spirits who are in the sixth sphere of the spirit. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the sixth sphere. Remember when Lucinda channeled all that information about the sixth sphere? She said it was a beautiful place where you could choose any existence you want. But there was always something not good enough there for her. And she, there was a feeling in her heart that she didn't satisfy. So many spirits there have been there for tens of thousands of years in this place and they believe themselves to be God. And they then channel or connect with people on earth to raise the level of consciousness on earth. And they do things through them in order to have everyone around them trust them. But those people on earth themselves do not necessarily have to be in the sixth sphere themselves. No, in fact, many of them, are in, in the fact, the majority sphere. are actually in the first sphere. Yeah. And they're just very, very good mediums uh, and have a very, very close contact with their spirit friend. 
And they've in fact so much close contact that they believe themselves to be that spirit. Do you follow me? And if you believe yourself totally to believe a, to be a person who exists in the spirit world, you will have such a great rapport with them that you won't even know the difference between yourself and them. And that's what happens to them. And so then this spirit who loves that condition can work through that person to do what they feel is good for man. And that's what they do. They try and do those things for man's benefit. Their motive is pure in many cases. So in that case, why isn't there a lot more of that happening like avatars generally are Indian related and I've now three planet on the earth of this planet at least for probably a lot more. Yeah. Why does it happen a lot more? Because there's so many people with good hearts. And because traditionally the Indian society, which comes from Buddhism and Hinduism, has been very much connected with spirit for, for thousands of years. Where traditionally the Western society has only allowed connections with spirits for the last hundred or so years mm -hmm. because of the negative feelings from Christian religion yeah. towards spirit connection. And so traditionally what's happened is that, is that most avatars on earth, if we can call them such, have been influenced heavily by spirits who are in the sixth sphere on the, on the Hindu or Buddhist paths. And and those spirits who are influencing these people on earth and they have a better connection because, because of, in their culture and environment it's allowed whereas in the western culture and environment you know you think about how much anti-spiritism there is in, in Christianity for example and, and people were burned alive for that all through the dark ages so in the western society obviously there's been a lot more anger and resentment and and also a lot more distrust and mistrust of spirit communication than there has in Eastern facilities. And for that reason, the majority of these people will be of an Eastern background in most cases. Yeah. You were explaining at one time about people entering the spirit world when they die and they're in one of the lower regions. Yep. And I think you said that they don't really know what is above them in those other levels or how many levels there are until they gradually, very gradually progress up. Yep. Now, the fact that you've come here to enlighten us about the whole yep. uh, framework of it, will we remember that when we die and we're in one of those levels, yes. will we remember that you've taught us all this? Yes. Well, we are blessed, yeah. truly. Yeah, no, you, you, you will remember every experience, all your sleep state experiences as well. So you'll remember, oh yeah, I remember when AJ was talking about this sleep state experience, I didn't believe a word he was saying, but now I realise <laughs> that I can remember them all. And there's some lovely books that you can read about this that have been channeled almost 100 years ago that are free for, for you too. And there's one uh, written by Robert James Lees, and I've mentioned that before, but um, it's about a man who was on earth who passed into the spirit world, and he met his mother for the first time in the spirit world. His mother died at birth, at his birth. He met his mother and the first thing he remembered was that he'd actually been with her every time he'd been asleep. And he knew it. He, he realised he knew her really well. So, you know, he, he, he had that realisation once he met her, that or all those memories returned. Um, you know, when these people are spirits on the sixth level, uh, Helping everybody on, on earth. Yep. Is that against their free will? Um, Are they doing it to us? And if it is, <coughs> how does that affect us? Do we accept it? Can we reject that if we want? We've got to be very careful about saying it's against our free will. Because where's our free will from? Not here. 
It's from our emotions. Probably damaged. There's our free will, inside of our emotions. So nobody can influence you outside of your free will. Nobody. Not a single person can influence you outside of your free will. Now that might sound like a very, like, oh, how come last week I got hurt and punched in the nose by this man? He influenced me outside of my free will. But did he really? Law of attraction. If, the law, if you take the law of attraction into account, your emotions allowed that event, right? So it's your emotions that are your free will. Your free will is exercised emotionally and not intellectually. Do you follow me? Very important thing to understand. Now, if that's the case, if I emotionally need a feeling of being powerful, in other words, I feel powerless inside of my soul, inside of my feelings, I'm feeling powerless, and I have the spirit in the spirit world who wants to feel powerful on the earth through me, I'm going to attract him. And the only way I'm going to stop attracting him is to actually allow myself to feel my power less emotions. I can do whatever I want intellectually. I can put a barrier around me and I can do this and I can do that, but I'll have to maintain all of that. Unless I feel the emotion, I will never permanently get rid of that spirit. Does that make sense? And that's very important to understand. So every single person who's being affected by a spirit has used their free will at some point to be affected by that spirit and is currently using their free will to be affected by that spirit. And that applies to myself as much as anyone else. So when you're, ex when you're experiencing those emotions, understanding that um, concept, when you're experiencing your emotions, can you experience the pain of the emotion and the joy um, at the same time? Do you experience that? Um, like you're going through the emotion, but it's so exciting because this is where you're going. It depends on what emotion, obviously. Yeah. Yes. You often can have multiple emotions happening at the same time, certainly. Your soul is capable of processing many thousands of emotions at the same time, eventually. Um, and often women have that ability at the beginning more than men do, because of it's part of the nature of the feminine side of the soul. But the... The truth is that the majority of times when you're clearing away negative emotions, you will probably be in that particular emotion fairly constantly until it's cleared, if you, if you choose to stay in it. Is joy not the motivation to go through the pain though? Of course. Joy, love, yeah. Love of self, love of God, love of uh, wanting to be in a place of bliss, yeah. Love of truth. Sometimes love of truth is the only thing that keeps you going here. So yeah, they're all powerful motivators. That's, and even just the quality of faith is an important quality. Faith not, not in some obscure <coughs> teachings of some religion, but rather faith that you can actually connect to God and have faith that God wants to connect to you. It can drive you as well. Yeah. Can I have you on it? Speaking of receiving divine love and divine truth mm -hmm. and, and what we're talking about there, what's your take on the deep and the oneness and the heart power transmissions? Yep, yep. Um, they're very similar to what I've just described, what's happening with avatars, actually. Wow. All right. um, what happens is there, there are a group of spirits whom I've actually spoken to in the sixth sphere. So they're in the sixth sphere. Uh, there's a male and female spirit who are soulmates. They're living in the sixth sphere. And they have connected to some avatars on Earth, if we can call them avatars. A male 
and a female. Right? Who are also, by the way, soulmates. Right? Now, because of this very, very strong bond that they have, they are now able to teach a lot of principles from the six spheres straight onto the earth. Right? Which they see, these spirits here see, as a very, very powerful and good thing. And, this, and the people here obviously feel the same way, because there's a similar attraction. Right? Then what happens is there are literally tens of thousands of spirits in the sixth sphere and the fifth sphere and the fourth sphere, and some in the third sphere, so there's those whole groups of spirits, who are actually influencing the people that these people give the diksha to. And what they do, and this is why you get the description of golden balls entering the people, the golden ball is actually a spirit entering the person. Now, because the spirit's in a condition of love, the person feels better than they would normally feel. And the person feels in a much more loving condition than they would normally feel. The question, though, is, is it real? Now, it only becomes real when the person on earth decides to deal with their emotions. And that's why many people have in the Diksha experience an emotional experience. So when they have an emotional experience, they're releasing an emotion, which then gives way for this love, which is actually natural love, by the way. It's not divine love. Okay. It's natural they love. say it's divine love. <coughs> no, they believe it's divine love. I've yeah. spoken to these spirits and they believe it's divine love. Yeah. But it's actually love coming from their own heart that they are giving to another person. But the love in this state, it's much greater than obviously a first fear state, so any person they give it to is going to feel fantastic. Yeah? And that's what happens. And then they start thinking that it's divine love, when in reality it's not. Only one being can give you divine love. And that's God. No other being can give you divine love. AJ, do these spirits have alternative emotions? These spirits here? These spirits here have come to a point where they um, are living now totally in harmony with the laws of natural love. God has created a whole set of laws which we would call laws about natural love. When I talk about natural love, I'm talking about the love that exists within the soul of a human, right? That God has given you the power to develop. And you can develop it until the point where you reach this sphere, the sixth sphere. Now, when you reach that place and, you've, and you're living in harmony with all the laws of natural love, you are said to be in the sixth sphere. Now, you may not need to do that emotionally. You think about it, you can live in harmony with law without actually feeling the harmony with law, can't you? How many of you do that right now? Live in harmony with law without feeling it? How many of you never break the speed limit? Not many of that. <laughs> How many of you don't murder? How many of you feel like murdering occasionally? Can you see the difference? Uh, can you see the difference? Like, we can have a feeling inside of ourselves that causes us to feel like doing something, even though the law says don't do it, but we don't do it because the law says don't do it. And these spirits in this location are in that state. So can these spirits have another objective? Other than us? Um, no, they 